This recording is a production of Faith Builders Educational Programs. This presentation was recorded at REACH 2015, a conservative Anabaptist ministry convention hosted by Faith Builders on March 19 and 20, 2015. Servants, not saviors. I am so thrilled to be able to talk with you for a few minutes this afternoon about this subject. Now, I suspect that most of you are, are here for the same reason that I took the assignment. It was because it intrigued you, but you had no idea what it was about. Yeah? Servants, not saviors. I just believe today that it's in the heart of every person here to do whatever it is that God wants. Now, sometimes it becomes a little more challenging to just figure out exactly what that is, right? Now, I want you to know this subject picked me this afternoon because it's where I have found myself so many, many, many times. And I've got a strange feeling that you might be here either because you're also there or maybe because you know somebody that's there and you're trying to figure out how to get him off of it, huh? Ah, how many times we just sigh and we say, wow, if somebody could just figure this out. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, the one word that I think is so important in all of this uh, is, is the word balance. Now, how many of you figured out that balance is such an important word even as we think about the two premises that we're, we're, we're working on today, uh, it's, it's just, to me, when you think about the fact that there's, there's two main things, but there's one main thing, and that's balance. One, all of God's people are in ministry. If, if you're a father, if you're a teacher, if you're an educator, no matter what you are today, you're in some kind of, of ministry. If you're not, I, I have to say, I don't think you're a believer. Uh, you are in ministry of some kind. Um, but as we are in ministry, we so need balance in our lives. Now, I think that life uh, out of balance is, is really chaotic and and miserable. Truth out of balance is the untruth. And, and here it is. When people in ministry out of balance, there is so much pain. There's so much misery. There's so much uh, burnout. There's, there's so much disillusionment. It's just amazing. It's just amazing what happens when, when God's people are out of balance. And, and, and again, I would just like to say that I, I believe that that. All of God's people, we, 
we start out as genuine servants. But somehow, along the way, through the many expectations and challenges and the, the stuff that's thrown at us, and, and you know, we're, we're leaders, right? We, 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 we have to. We have to get on with it. The first thing we know, we morph into the Savior mode without realizing what happened. And I'd just like to say this afternoon that this lesson is about restoring balance in our lives. And uh, I, as I was thinking about this, um, uh, we've got one more word or two here, conflict. As I was thinking about this, uh, I was thinking about us as men in particular. And uh, I'm so glad there's a number of ladies here in this, in this session too. Um, but I think it's fair for me to pick on the man. Is that okay? You all okay if I pick on the man? All right. Um, we heard another brother say how he had picked on the ladies, and he was so sorry for it and had to go back and make it right just a while ago in one of the other sessions. And uh, so um, I was trying not to do that if I could help it. So if you men gang up on me, I guess you may. But, you know, we're just pretty much taught, aren't we, that we're the... We're the fixers, you know. Something goes wrong, your, your wife is talking to you, and, she's, you know, we just have to fix it, right? Uh, if anybody says anything to us, because, you know, we are the leaders, uh, we, we've got to just take care of it. If you don't take care of it, we're not a man, right? We've got to just take care of it. We've, we've got to, you know, the, do the Superman qualities, the world on my shoulders, you've got to be the Atlas man, right? We've got to really be the Savior types. Because we have the God-appointed commissioning to fix and to keep everything on track that's in our worlds. Got any company? Men? Anybody out there? Ever been there? Huh? You're awful quiet. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to knock you flat. Okay. All right. Okay. Good yet? So... That's kind of the mindset that society has thrown against us, right? Now, I have to get a little closer in that. It's not just the mindset that society has thrown against us. Hello. It's the mindset that the church, our ministries, have thrown at us, right? Step to the plate, guy, you're in charge. Fix this. And the first thing we know, we find ourselves playing God a little bit, just a little bit, right? This lesson is about how we can be people who know the difference between being servants or saviors. And I will tell you this. I've given you one small handout um, that has a PowerPoint uh, on it. I have another handout that you can pick up at the end with a more complete set of notes.
but all the same. Let's quickly move along here because we need to. We're thinking about what happens when God's people take on God's role. So many things happen. I don't even want to talk about them. But so much confusion of roles takes place. Um, at, at Mountain View, I have the dubious honor of teaching a conflict management class for our CNA program. The state of Virginia, in its wisdom, figured out that the one reason, one main reason that healthcare workers leave their place of work is not because they don't like the work, they leave the people, their supervisors, and their fellow employees. That's what they leave behind. I have a strange feeling that, oh, Folks, let's just talk to each other this afternoon and be honest with each other, okay? We all know that that's the same reason why we, have, we leave our churches. We know that's why we leave our ministries. We know that this is such an issue everywhere we look. You still okay with that? So many times, that's what happens. It's because so many times we've morphed into that savior mode, take charge, fix everything, instead of humbly seeking God. And one of the things that I've told that CNA class many a time is that, you know what? In my work on mission boards, there's one thing above all others that mission board members have to struggle with and fight with. It's not what you would think it is. It's the simple reality of trying to help the missionaries like each other. That's where it is a lot of times. And so I'm just saying today, as we think together about this matter, know that there's an answer. Know that God's ways are still okay today. They still work today. They're still just as true as the day they were written. Well, what happens when God's people take on God's role? Effectiveness diminishes. Trust is lost. Team is destroyed. Relationships are damaged. The other day, I was sitting in a coffee shop with a dear brother from our church. His wife, who is the mother of eight young children, is essentially dying of cancer. And as we speak, she's in Mexico seeking dramatic treatment. And uh, Bill and I just sat there at that coffee shop for a long time just thinking about life and just trying to make sense of all this. And, uh, and finally, I just said to him, Bill, I said, you know what? It's okay to be human. And just let God be God. And I think so many times we need to just stop a little bit and think. It's okay to be human. We don't have to be Superman. We don't have to be Savior. 
God has already provided a glorious Savior. It's okay to be human. Well, what are the signs that we may be crossing the line? As I was thinking about this, so many things just come sailing at me. And one of the first thoughts that came to my mind as I was, I was thinking about this whole matter of what happens, what has happened. Just look around a little bit. First of all, in our own hearts, in our own experiences, and, and you see and you feel the pain. You, you see the burnout. You, you see the disillusionment of those who quit and, and go home. And you see the, the conflict that we were talking about. And I was, just, I was just thinking about a time when I found myself way across the ocean on foreign soil. And, and uh, I was sitting in a room with two wonderful missionaries. And they were just like all missionaries are. They so wanted some, some trophies for the master. And yet, in their pursuit of this tangible fruit, it seemed like, in the one brother's opinion, the other brother had ruined, had ruined a wonderful potential. It was my dubious honor to sit with those dear brothers whose hearts were towards God. They wanted the same thing, but to help them figure out what it meant to be servants. Spiritual, signs of spiritual pride. Now, I don't suspect that <laughs> you have ever felt this way. You've seen some other people who felt this way, right? They are the only piece of humanity left on the earth that God has given any common sense on this issue. Yeah? You ever met anything like that? No? You guys live in the real world? Anybody here? Yeah? All right. Oh, not all right. Really. Uh, dear me, how many times do we find 
spiritual pride as a sign that we might be crossing the line. How many times do you have in a conversation that's so intense and people are trying to figure it out and everybody is carrying the attitude that I alone am the only one that has any wisdom in this matter? Whoa, what's with that? That can't be servant. Well, I think a frenzy of activity is definitely an issue at times. Just trying to get the job done, trying to get done what people are thinking we ought to get done. You know that pressure from behind, from the top, from wherever it comes from. That pressure that causes a frenzy of activity. And as they say, the trouble with a rat race is that when you win, you're still a rat. And like a rat in a spinning cage, the wheel goes faster, but little progress is made. Well, what really are the trademarks of a real servant? One of them would be how I respond when I'm treated, of all things, like a servant. Do you really believe that God wants us to be servants of His? Do you really believe it? Then why do we kick against it? Because we're human. Thank you. And it's okay to be human, isn't it? But I think that perhaps even more telling is a second one, how I respond to success. You know, we don't really know what to do with success. We're all looking for it. We're all grabbing for it. We're all slaving away for it. But we don't have any idea, really, what to do with it. Even when a brother comes up to you and says, Hey, good job. Oh, that's nothing. That's nothing. What do you mean? God wasn't doing something in your life? You're saying God didn't do anything? Well, we don't know what to do with success. You see, the problem, the thing that we struggle with so much in staying usable before God is having succeeded. Now that I've succeeded, now I've got something to prove. I've got something to live up to. Probably one of the greatest hindrances to success is having succeeded. What do we do with success? I think it's probably as telling on this whole matter of being a servant as anything. I would just like to suggest, here is a simple way to respond to success. Number one, God gets the glory because He alone is worthy. Without Him, 
we are less than nothing. But secondly, others get the credit. You know a phrase that stuck with me from my youth? Ain't no telling what me and God can do if I don't care who gets the credit. I've had the honor at Mountain View Nursing Home recently to have two of my school teachers as residents at Mountain View. My first and second grade school teacher and my fourth grade school teacher were both residents at Mountain View at the same time. I was so thrilled. I was so thrilled to, to, to be able to receive them, to in some small way give back the credit to them that they deserved. Because I can tell you that my first and second grade teacher, who just recently passed away, instilled within me a tremendous love of music, of, of reading, of books, of the arts, of nature. I owe her so much. My fourth grade teacher was so instrumental in continuing, nurturing those things in my life. I owe them so much. God gets the glory for any success, but they get the credit for having nurtured and watered and planted. And but thirdly, please quickly note with me, but we get the joy of seeing God at work and having experienced the great honor of being fellow workers together with God. And, and uh, as it says in 1 Corinthians 3, and, and no one can take that joy from us. Jesus came that your joy might be full. The joy of the Lord is your strength. As they say, with it you can move mountains. But without it, we stumble over molehills. So don't let anybody rob you of the joy that is yours. God gets the glory. Others get the credit. But you get the joy. Yet a third thing as a trademark of a real servant is how sincerely we are able to rejoice when mistreated misunderstood, mangled, mud splattered, you name it. Yep, you saw it right. How loudly we can rejoice. Sort of quiet. Nothing going on right now. Nobody splattering you up. Nobody throwing anything. Good? How loud can we rejoice? Or maybe we should say, how sincerely, as we have it written on the PowerPoint, how sincerely can we rejoice? And I don't think it's 
anything wrong with adding a few decibels to it just to add good measure to it. I think it's music in the ears of God when he can hear your voice. To you, O oh Lord, I lift up my voice. Even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of great struggle, we lift our hearts to God. How well we stay out of the nothing mode. And I'd just like to tell you today that I think there's yet a third category. We have the category of being servants. We have the category of being saviors. The other day, Lawson and I were discussing a certain need that we were concerned about. And about that time, we looked at each other and we said, well, you know what, in this thing, maybe we don't need to be the Savior. Oh, well, that was a relief. <laughs> just, okay, fine. Thank you, Lord. You just told me. I don't have to be the Savior. But about that time, this question come flying out of somewheres. But, but are we then being servants? It was a jolt because, because maybe we had resigned to being nothing. Nothing. Do you ever go to nothing? Ain't my job. I ain't going to be their savior. Whoa. Fine. But are we being servants? I'm afraid that being nothing is just as dangerous as being saviors. I think scripture would teach us that to not do what we know to do is sin. So maybe, maybe that is just as significant. How well we stay out of the nothing mode. No responsibility, no accountability, no influence. How well are we staying out of that mode? So real servants serve the need of the moment, whatever that is. Neck in the line, doing the hard things, inconvenience, time-consuming tasks, accountable, responsible, approachable, teachable, all the above. Check. Those are the kind of things that our God wants us to be like. Real servants roll over dead. Not. Real servants relapse into a passive lifestyle. Mm -mm. Real servants rarely get involved. No, no. Real servants are actively engaged in doing the master's business. Yeah. They're aware of the dangers that threaten from without. They're aware and alert to the self-destructing elements from within. So, what is the way to gauge whether we're in the servant or the savior mode of operating? We might be in the savior mode if we have 
we've been talking a little bit about these things. And I, I couldn't figure out how to say these in, you know, nice, nice words. So please, um, if any of these words scare you, if you want to leave, you, 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 might, you may. I don't, I don't mind. But the first one is excessive religiosity. Now, that's just, a, that's just a term I made up, okay? So don't let really it panic you. Um, I, I'm not even sure what all that looks like. But what, what I was thinking about was things like this, the need to set everybody straight, okay? Has that never hit you at all? Uh, you just want to get things right, okay? Um, uh, do, do, we just, do we just think it's our calling to, to, to fix everything that's not, you know, mature in, in, our, in our brothers? Um, I mentioned the conflict class that I teach at Mountain View for the CNAs. Um, quite often, and, and um, I, I, was, I was trying to teach this principle to them, and uh, how that love covers a multitude of sins, that what a blessing it is to overlook, to be able to overlook those things that bug us of our brothers and sisters. And so this one young man come at me with a classic, classic response. He says, uh, he says, uh, yeah, but isn't there a time to step up to the plate and set them straight? Yeah. We all feel like that sometimes, don't we? just want to get it straight. We just want to set them straight. Well, the need to fix everything is not mature. The need to speak truth. Yes, but it's the truth. Right. But we must add the tender element of love. And if they can't feel that love. I just remember one of our staff persons one time after we had to take some disciplinary measures, this one staff person that wasn't even really a part of what was going on exactly, she looks at me and she says, yeah, but Eldon, I didn't feel very much love in that presentation. Whoa. You think that shook me down? Yeah. A whole lot. A whole lot. You see, the truth is, we're all dirty, ugly sinners. But that's not really the truth. The truth is that God loves you. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for you, to save you. And you don't have to be a dirty, ugly sinner anymore. That's the real truth, you see. Well, we might be in the Savior mode if we have excessive conflict in relationships. Just yesterday afternoon, several of us from our unit teams were sitting together, and one of the brothers with some experience sat there, and he said to the rest of us, he says, you know what? He says, the one thing that we of Anabaptist heritage are good at is we know how to work. Most of us, right? 
We know how to get the job done. Yeah? We are efficient. We know how to make it happen. But then he said, the one thing we're not good at, I'll let you judge you thinking he's right. He said, the one thing we're not good at is doing relationships. Is that true? Some of you say, yeah. Well, what are we going to do about it? We can't sit like this, can we? Relationships. What is the way to gauge whether you are in the servant or the savior mode of operating? I'm here to tell you, folks, this afternoon, as one who's so keenly aware of how everything we do is about people. If we're in ministry, it's about people. In some way or another, it's about people. And we said at the beginning that every one of us is in ministry, right? No matter what you're doing, where you are, if you're a believer, you're in ministry. And so it's about people. How my life is influencing, affecting, and helping people. It is so significant what we do with relationships. And I'm here to say today that I believe if we could find the balance of what it means to be servant, it would make a huge difference in relationships. We could talk a long time about this, but we don't have time this afternoon. But I'd like you to think deeply about that matter because it is so significant in our lives, in your life. Think about it. In your life. You can think about it in both ways. Think about it how you responded when somebody came to you in the Savior mode, fixing you. You said, sure, come on, fix me. I just love being fixed. Not. But when someone comes to you like the founder of Mountain View used to do, Harvey Yoder, who's now gone on to his reward, called the young man into his office and he says, you know what, brother, I could overlook this, but I care too much about you. Would you just allow me to talk for a little bit? And he'd get those young men so sucked into it, they couldn't, they couldn't do anything but respond. Yes, Harvey, you're right. Thank you. If somehow we could find where that servant heart and servant spirit is, you might tell them the exact same thing. But it's how you make them feel through a heart of love rather than a heart of pride and arrogancy. It's a huge difference. Excessive frustration levels in ministry often indicate that somewheres we're out of balance in this matter. Excessive pressure to perform causes us to flip into the Savior mode. It's on my shoulders. I've got to get this done. I've got to just play God a little bit and make it happen. No. 
excessive guilt and sleepless nights. I'm not here to say this afternoon that every time you're losing sleep, you're on this wrong track. But think about it. God gives his beloved sleep. He gives us rest. Come unto me and learn of me. For I'm making lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. What more glorious words could folks in ministry find than that? Real servants are not free from struggle, but they've taken on the way of Jesus. I'd just like to offer a couple words in summary. But before we go to those couple of words, I'm just thinking about a CNA at Mountain View the other morning. I, I asked her, how, how is it going? And she hesitated just a little bit. I could tell something wasn't right. And I said, well, I said, it's okay to be honest. And so she simply responded with these words. She said, well, it's been a rough morning. You know, it's okay to be honest. It's okay to be weak and needy. It's okay to not play God. Jesus said in Matthew 11, He says, Father, Lord of heaven, I thank you for not revealing these things unto the wise and prudent, but rather you have revealed them to babes. Are you okay, grown man today, to be but a babe? Come to Jesus and learn of him. He would love for us to understand what his yoke is like. Not our superimposed yoke that we put on our neck that we can't bear. And nobody else can bear either. Ownership belongs to God. Paul, the apostle, in many of his epistles, he opens them. In the King James, it reads, Paul a servant, but in the Greek, it's Paul a slave. Paul, a bond servant by choice. Paul, someone whose ear has been put to the door jam and marked forever. A willing servant of the master by choice for eternity. The two words I'd like to leave with you in summary today come from a study 
by Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great. If you haven't picked up that book any time, I'd encourage you to do so. He did a study of what it takes, what is behind the best operating companies in America. What has allowed them to get to where they are? What has given them staying power? What is it that makes them function like you would like to see your ministry function? He came up with two things that are not what you would really have thought he came up with. But he said behind every great company is a leader with these two characteristics. It is a person with uncommon focus. It's someone who is almost behind the scenes, as it were, tweaking and encouraging and blessing and helping and keeping the vision in front of the people. It's much more than a plaque on the wall that says, this is our mission statement. I love mission statements. But it's much more than some plaque on the wall. It's a culture. It's an attitude, as we heard earlier today, that is promoted throughout the organization. It is someone with uncommon focus. Someone who knows exactly what success would look like. What is it your mission is, is, is to do? What are we trying to accomplish in this ministry? And there are many ministries represented here. Someone with uncommon, unwavering focus never gets sidetracked. Just like I am right now. Now I have four minutes left to go. The second thing is uncommon humility. I submit to you today that if these two things alone would be present in your life of ministry, wherever it is, it would make an amazing, amazing difference. An uncommon focus and an uncommon humility. It is almost impossible. It is almost impossible to not receive a humble spirit. I don't care how tough the task is. I don't care how nasty the news is. If it's brought in humility, how do you know if you have it? We joke about this all the time, don't we? Ask your neighbor, he'll tell you. He knows if you got it or not. You can't tell? They know. The results of your ministry knows. 
Uncommon focus. Uncommon humility. <sighs> Quickly, the thing that I want you to know today, the most thrilling journey in the world is to identify willingly as bond servants of the Master. So study what he's up to and get in on it. It's not your program. It's his. You are not in control. He is. The prize is not to the strong. The prize is to the humble who are focused on the things that thrill the heart of God. So what do I want you to do today? Again I say, find out what God is up to in your corner of ministry and get on it. Because I hope you're done with getting in on your own thing. And I caution you, it might require going beyond the status quo or what is safe. So if you're a missionary today, or whatever you are, find out what that one thing is. If you're a missionary, know that that one thing is that, that God cares about is that men's hearts are drawn to Him. So point them to Jesus. No ego. No personal agenda, no worth to prove, just him. If we're a husband, employer, board member, pastor, student, you can read it in the notes later. If you're a woman in ministry, please know that your value to the master is not judged by how well you can assert yourself or hold your ground against stronger, intimidating forces or how many people even you might have saved. But your worth is judged alone by how well you have attended to and served the master's agenda in your place of ministry. So let us lay down our own agendas, our egos, our personal ambitions, our, those false orders that are screaming in our heads. And let us serve God alone. God of heaven, this day, we come to you praying that the heart of Jesus would be recreated in our own hearts. God, that we could learn how and what it means to be truly servants of yours. God, I pray that you'd bless these people as they leave this place today. I pray that whoever sees them coming might see a part of Jesus Christ. Amen. This recording and many others are available through Christian Learning Resource, the campus bookstore at Faith Builders. Order online at www.christianlearning.org or call 877-222-4769.